Welcome to another edition of Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. Dave and Jacqueline bring you up close and personal to the innovators, contributors, and creative minds in and around technology today. Visit their website at www.technologyexpresso.com. There you will find their broadcast with guests from all across the technology spectrum, their social media handles, and related content. So sit back with Dave and Jacqueline as they serve up Technology Expresso fast, hot, and intense. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. And as the show mentioned, uh, the opening mentions, we're here. I'm Dave Blackman, and I'm here with Jacqueline Sanders. Hello, everyone. Good evening. What a great event uh, we're going to have tonight. We're go- we have Mr. Derek Brown with us tonight, and he is a man of many hats, most known recently as president of the Atlanta chapter of BDPA. So welcome, Mr. Brown. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, as you guys know, we've had Derek on the show um, on past occasions, and as David said, and sometimes he's talking to his capacity as president of Atlanta BDPA, but um, there's another passion of Derek Brown's uh, that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, which also has my interest and curiosity, and it's about investing in technology. You know, from Technology Express, we talk about coming at it from a lot of different angles. And um, a lot of us, like Derek Brown, David, and I, we work in the technology sector, but we talk about not just being consumers but working in the area, but let's take it a step further and let's talk about investing, getting some return on those dividends and making that money work for us. So I'm sure Derek Brown has a lot of other colloquialisms mm-hmm. and <laughs> quote, quotable uh, uh, ways of saying that. So first of all, we're, we're really excited. And Derek, why don't you kind of give people and talk about, first of all, your your path into the whole investing sector and your background in it? Okay, certainly. Well, why don't we start with what makes it plain, especially when it comes down to colloquialisms. I started out, I want to get paid. I want to get paid in a hurry. <laughs> I came right out of one of my songs from being in high school. You know, that's that's how hip-hop was driving it, and money to a very large degree makes the world go round, unfortunately. Um, it doesn't make you happy, but we do know, quite honestly, it can facilitate happiness when you marry it to reason and wisdom and all the things that make life worth living. So there came a time when I was a kid that I realized that really rich people didn't necessarily make money by selling stuff. They made money by putting their money to work and investing it in other institutions that sold stuff and thereby applying a multiplying factor to the amount of money that they put in the market, you know, and it didn't have to be tied up with one particular enterprise or or tied up in some land. You don't have to own the land. You don't have to own the business. In fact, when you play in the capital markets, you don't even have to own the underlying stock or, or, or say, financial instrument that ties directly to that product. You can option it. In other words, you can buy the right to own it and purchase it later, which is called an option. It turns out that I started to realize that complex money instruments were really the bread and butter of, you know, entrepreneurial success in America and, you know, ostensibly the entire planet. So, you know, without going too deep in all that stuff, because I really want to try to keep it simple tonight, at one point in my life I ran across this toy called Teddy Ruxpin. And I don't know if any of you out there old enough to remember it, but Teddy Ruxpin was a talking teddy bear. And it was made by a company called Worlds of Wonder. Well, in my mind back then I was thinking, well, this company is making a hot product. This has got to be what they're talking about in the streets. Daddy, I want to get paid, paid in a hurry. And I would pick up the newspaper every Sunday morning and turn to the financials pages and take a look at what stocks are being listed for. You know, I, I didn't go so far as to have a ticker in my home. We weren't that well off. We couldn't afford it. 
But you look at a Sunday newspaper, you think about a company, I say, Daddy, can I invest in? And he indulged me. And thereby started my 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 foray into investment. But as with many of us, lessons come hard. I wasn't the kind of guy you'd read about and say, oh, he started at 14 and he's a billionaire. No, nah, none of that happened. <laughs> in fact, no one knows what Wills of Wonder is anymore because they went belly up. And the stock eventually eroded to um, – on the pink sheets, which is where cheap stocks go to die. And eventually the uh, the company went into receivership and vanished from the face of the earth. Bye-bye, world of wonder. But you know what? You could probably get a Teddy Ruxpin right now for maybe about forty or $50,000. I'm quite sure they're prized toys. In any case, from that, I continued to investigate, but it was always hard to come across capital to play in the market. But, you know, that was also not my primary focus as I grew older. Over time, I came back to it, and as I said before, I came to realize that if you're an American citizen, most especially, you should live by what I call three pot. Those are the three principles of prosperity. You need to invest in real estate, and it's not where you stay or live because your home is not an investment instrument or an ATM. It's actually where you live. You should try and invest in other real estate, things outside of your home. That's the first principle. Second principle is investing in the capital markets, which we're going to talk about tonight. Capital markets represent forex options, stocks, bonds, all of the financial instruments that institutions use in order to leverage, move, manage, and create wealth, move money, all of that. And then the third principle is entrepreneurship, especially, in my mind, for Americans. There may be other cheaper tax-safe havens in other countries that are conducive to building a business, but I have not seen or heard or read of any other place in human history where the endeavors of a simple human being, a man or woman, could be put to work start an enterprise. And that's not to say it's easy. I don't care where you go. It's going to be a difficult proposition. But if you're an American and you have an idea, you owe it to yourself to try. Everyone's not cut out to be a business person, man or woman, not to be an entrepreneur. But if you have an idea, you should give it a shot. One of the main things you may learn out of that activity is you shouldn't own a business. Instead, you should focus on investing in the capital markets and thereby make your money as you go older into retirement. It's a smart proposition. But in any case, a long-winded way to tell a story. Did that about cover it, Jacqueline? <laughs> I, I think it did. I think it did, and, and I had fond memories of Teddy Ruskin. So. <laughs> but uh, you know, <laughs> I, I love that that story because actually uh, one of the subtitles of today's show was kind of the ups and downs, mm-hmm. and there are some hard knocks and some hard lessons learned. Um, uh, along the way, so you you learned early on, but you you, you came back to it, and 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 that's what I think a, a message people also need to take away. But absolutely, absolutely, and uh, that company that did make Teddy Ruxpin that was not a failed venture. They made money, and they made money for a lot of individuals who at the time had the ability to invest in that company. And one thing one thing about investing is you have to know when to get in. And you have to know when to get out. It's, when to get out. It's, right. it's not just putting the money out there and, ju- and just writing it out. It's, it's a technique to it. And uh, Mr. Brown is going to touch on those points as we go through this conversation. So let's kick it off with the uh, first question and, 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 and see where that goes. And uh, um, Jacqueline. Yeah, because I, I think one of the things, again, Tying this back is uh, again, we all work in the technology uh, sector, so and that's one of the ways that that we we want to kind of really focus on that too. So, um, would you like to have the honors of the first question? Sure, sure. You know, uh, us as uh, as you mentioned, we are in the industry, so we kind of sort of have the ability to have the inside track on a lot of these movements, and if we have the ability to make. Uh, uh, to make investments in those. So um, that's good for us. Uh, uh, but Mr. Brown's going to talk about that uh, for everyone who may or may not be in the industry. And Mr. Brown, so Derek, the first question, uh, if you could please define what a sector is and talk about the difference in uh, diversifying uh, in, in, instead of investing in a particular sector, if you could please. Okay, so. Basically, the U.S. economy or any given global economy is broken up into different sectors, and those sectors are tied to areas of production, things where uh, services are rendered 
or goods are produced and manufactured. And here in America, most of our um, industry, all our industry, has been broken down by several sectors, and they're defined specifically by Dow Jones. And when you hear or you watch NBC or you listen to one of these financial reports and you hear folks talk about specific sectors, they're usually talking about one of those 10 Dow Jones sectors. You've got things like technology, which is basically what we're pretty much wed to. And I'm going to go into a, a legal compliance or a legal a legality issue in that in just a moment when we're talking about doing what you know or investing in what you know. You've got health care. You've got financials. You've got basic materials. You've got utilities, big oil and gas, and you've got telecommunications and a couple of more that escape memory right now that um, you can Google it. It's right there, it's right there for you. Fine. Just look up uh, Dow Jones sector so you, and you'll see how they're broken down. So that pretty much defines what a sector is, and, you know, that gives you an option at an aggregate level, a high level, of how you might want to invest your money. Um, and, and did you, was there a second part to the question, David, or, or did I cover it? Well, the second part of the question was to explain the difference um, uh, between diversifying your, your investments as opposed in a specific sector and the dangers around uh, focusing and concentrating in one particular sector. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so I always tell people there are there are a couple of things that I say are indicative to a winning formula in investment, and it really does break down to simplicity. And one thing I think folks should understand when you internalize that that approach to simplicity is that what you're trying to do is play a leverage gambling game. And folks don't like that. Folks don't want to equate Wall Street to Vegas. But there is a certain amount of randomness to human behavior. And one thing you've got to understand about stock markets is that they are an aggregate representative of human behavior, nothing more, nothing less. There's no, there's no real science to it. What you can do is apply metrics and trends and mathematics to determine how to put your money to work. The same thing high-end gamblers do and the same thing people do in the retail industry when they want to figure out what you're going to go and buy at Christmas. All these things take mathematics and they apply synonymously across the board. So what does that mean in terms of sector analysis and, you know, what you want to do and what's the difference between putting it all in one sector versus many? Well, the objective really comes down to risk tolerance and what your objective really is, what you're trying to achieve. If you put all of your money in the telecommunications sector and the telecommunications sector tanks, and that goes back to the old adage of putting all your eggs in one basket. If all your eggs are sitting in the same basket and I step on it, you got a bunch of broken eggs. Same thing with your money. If you put it all in the same place and it goes down the toilet, well, there you have it. You, you know that you really would prefer not all of your money go down one toilet. If anything, you want to have your money sitting in separate areas, and hopefully in one or two or three or four of those areas, there's no toilet to be found. So it can't be flushed. So when it comes to simplicity in terms of how to apply your money, I always tell people to consider asset allocation and diversifying. That means when you talk about economic sectors, putting your money in multiple sectors to work for you so you can't get trapped or caught up by the failure of one sector when another might be stable or another one might be exploding to the upside. So you have to really be cognizant about how you spread your money and how you put it to work. Now, I'm going to dive just a little lower and talk about what folks might want to do if they want to put their mind to it. Um, if you really want to try to understand stocks and, you know, you're, you're not so big on wanting to put all your money on just one big sector, well, take the time to learn the companies that are, that are aggregated or make up that one sector. So if you want to practice asset allocation as you must and appropriate diversification, and that means if you have $10,000 to invest, don't put all $10,000 in one company. Spread it out. If you're going to get into this investment game and try and make a decent profit, then make sure that your portfolio is spread wide enough that while some stocks are down, others are up. And this same thing applies even within a given sector. These are things that you may pick up by experience, but you won't necessarily be told. You might not even necessarily read about it, but you can pick up this kind of thing from experience. And you're allowed to experience this by going out there and running some simulations with any one of the traders online. You can practice diversification across sectors. You can practice putting your money to work and allocating it to different companies or different sectors. Again, 
if that's what you want to do, then there are index funds that you can leverage in order to do that. And you can put your money to work for the entire telecommunications sector or the entire um, technology index or the oil and gas index. You can, you can do it that way. Each of these, each of these breakdowns, these, these indexes, these sectors allows you to put your money to work in one specific area of the economy. And if that's what you choose to do, you can do that. And it, it implies a lower level of risk. But again, you got to think about what's your risk tolerance and what objective you really seek to achieve. So if you want to try to make money in a short-term gain, and from a um, capital market standpoint, a short-term gain is anything that's made within one year, then, you know, you want to make sure that you're putting your money in the stocks that's going to move, you know, and a lot of times you put money in index funds. If you don't have enough money on volume to, to say, 30 cents, that doesn't equate to a lot if you only got 100 shares. But if you put it into a stock like Priceline.com, which can move 15 to 20 points a day, 100 shares equates to $2,000. And, you know, you don't put all of your money in that, but you spread it around and while Priceline is up and Facebook is down, even though they're both inside the technology sector and they're both what you would call a further breakdown internet stocks, you're allocated appropriately, and that means you split the difference between those two companies. And you'll see this type of behavior all the time if you watch the markets closely enough. Some stocks go up, others go down. When the stock is up and you feel pretty good about it, sell it and book your profits. Wait the other one out, especially in an up economy, but that all ties back to trending it. And I figure we can cover that later. So how was that? Did that answer the question? Absolutely, absolutely, Derek. And not only uh, not only that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you can also experience that diversification uh, uh, methodology if you're investing in your company's mutual funds. You will see that there is a, a diverse um, a mix such as what we've been talking about, what Mr. Brown has been talking about here, you will see that diversity spread across the different mutual funds. And you and, and, and this isn't something that the company hides from you. You should be able to go into each and every one of those investments and see their track record, see their performance over the last quarter, the last year of existence, the last five years and last 10 years. So you can look deeply in that and get some help with that as you look through that um, to exp have someone explain you to you how everything is diversified and how that mix creates different types of mutual funds. And that's almost a safe way to look at that diversification in action without stepping out there with a lot of money and throwing it out there and, and, and hoping for the best. That's a good uh, learning experience to look at the uh, mutual funds and how they perform uh, separately. Thanks, Mr. Brown there. Absolutely. And, and, let me, and let me add to that, David, from a, from a mutual funds perspective, because I actually didn't bring those up. A lot of families, as they're trying to identify their risk tolerance, or individuals for that matter, mutual funds can and for many people should be a part of their overall investment mix. That some part of your family, maybe one half of the married couple, may have a higher risk tolerance. So you've got to figure out not only how to allocate your funds in the investment itself, but in the investment activity itself, but how you're going to break it up before you put it to work. So you can put some money in the mutual funds. They, are, they have fees. Some have the, you have loads and no loads. You have some costs that are associated with the fund, but many of them are all tied, or well, all of them are tied to a certain level of risk. And you can gauge that risk and have a safe investment by going with a mutual fund and a good fund manager. And then you can take some of the other money and try, if you have it in and of yourself to do so, invest directly in the market. And from that allocation standpoint, you pick a bucket of individual stocks and spread your money appropriately. And that could be a sound investment practice for a family that's willing to do so and seeks to get educated on how to put their money to work. Jacqueline? Uh, thank you. And, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in here and kind of break it down because there's, there's different level of listeners. And I know that there's um, some people who are intimidated from the, the very conversation that we're having. Um, you touched upon something, risk tolerance. You've, everyone needs to be uh, smart about where they, they jump in, where they position themselves. But um, I dare say to do nothing is, is the worst thing that you can do. Um, and, and whether it is, like you said, there, there's different levels, there's different safe ways to start with investing. Some of that is just starting with your 401k plan. Um, 
and what your company has to to offer, and then it's it's kind of just moving in from there. But start you if you the, it all starts with planning, and if you start with set aside and saving and looking at retirement, and then looking at an overall portfolio, that's when you start looking at when you do have the extra funds um, and, and um, liquid assets, I, I would say, um, that, that you're not depending on for your day-to-day, um, then that's when you can look at the, the other areas that we're talking about. However, I also would say it's never too early to start educating yourself, which is why we're having the show, why we're having the conversation. We need to be having these conversations on a regular basis. Um and, and, and we need to be having them even with our young people, uh, with you being young and, you know, already at a young age being entrepreneur-minded um, and, and thinking about this and your father fostering that. Um, now look at you. Now that you do have the opportunity and the funds, you're in a position and you're not afraid or intimidated. So, so that's one of the things that I, I wanted to, to speak to. And, and you know, I, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that or, or, or from what you see in the, the landscape, especially, um, you know, our own people. What, what do you think, Derek? Uh, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because I want to make sure that as I talk, I make sure I keep it simple. Even in how I execute, I try to be simplistic. I don't – I love watching CNBC. It's one of my favorite channels. But I am not a highfalutin uh, financial planner type guy because I think the more complexities you put on something like this, the harder it is for you to get real returns unless you commit to doing it day in and day out. And that ain't my day job, nor do I want it to be. But I do want to put the money to work and make money out of it. That's why I firmly believe in 3Pop. And what I would caution people on, in specific, especially when it comes down to our ethnicity, goes back to that um, what got me into it in the first place and loving and listening to hip-hop music and what a media-driven consumer celebrity culture did to me. It made me chase a dollar. So I love how you said, you know, that the teddy bear and the example got me into it and my dad supported it, but I want to be real open and honest with people. I didn't necessarily learn my lesson. I had to keep failing up. So at one point, and this was when the tech industry was starting to blow up, um, I decided I wanted to get in. I wanted to go in hard because I wanted to get paid. I want to get paid in a hurry, see? So instead of having the withdrawal to to trade, because that's what it was about, it wasn't really investing, it was trading, I went and borrowed of money to put into an account with which to trade. And if you have a certain type of account, you can borrow again on margin. So you got to take a moment and realize exactly what it was I did. I borrowed money from institutions to put into a financial trading account, which allowed me to borrow again and double the amount of money that I was putting to work. So we're talking about investment in the six figures. And the goal was to become a millionaire inside of six months, you know, in heavy trading. Um, I'll just make it real plain. That didn't work out too well. In fact, it turned out to be a tragic disaster. Now, the thing I want folks to understand about trying to invest at that level, or if you if you really want to try and put your money to work, and really invest in the capital markets, which may include a part where you're trading in order to realize real gains, then you got to understand, this goes back to what I was saying about the market still being is what it is, a reflection of human nature and human activity. That means the risk factor is directly tied to the possibility of you losing. And in that perspective, in that respect, you have to understand that that's gambling. So I would say to people, you know, your 401K, like you said, Jack, I'm a great place to start. You can understand asset allocation by investing in your 401K because questions specifically get asked of you. How do you want to put your money to work? How do you want to spend it? From there, it's just a stage said. If you say, okay, I'm at this point where I really want to get um, ready to do the work of putting my money to work, you can find yourself a great financial planner, a check start reading, Kipperman's and Morningstar, and taking a look at the mutual funds and figuring out which dynamic portfolio manager out there might be the guy, fund manager might be the guy that you want to put your money with. And, you know, you can start to invest in that fashion, start to understand it a bit more aggressively and, you know, and get more in-depth. And from there, if you have a mind to do so, then say, I want to start trading. And if you want to do that and you can make some really good money, I know, 
then you have to be prepared to lose it. And when we talk risk tolerance, I want to, like I said, break it down to simplistic. You put the money you put to work when you're trading is money that you're completely ready to lose. And that's what I want everyone out there to fully understand. The rewards can be great, but the loss can be catastrophic if you're not prepared to deal with it. So if you've got $10,000 that you saved assiduously and you decide you're going to put it into the market, but this was not $10,000 that you were prepared to lose or could afford to lose, then you have made a tragic error, and you should not have done that. If you're prepared to trade, then you have to make sure you're ready to trade. And I, ideally what I like to tell people is, to, in order to trade, you need to be in a position where if you got fired tomorrow, you'd be all right. That means you've got enough money set aside that you can survive. You can pay your mortgage, the cars are taken care of. Ideally, you shouldn't have any car debt. But we're black and we're American, so we know how it goes. Everybody's got to have a hot whip from a culture perspective. I would hope that programs like this and me running my big mouth will start to dissuade people from doing things like that. Cars aren't made for ordinary people. That's why they have so many lease programs, but I'm on a high horse. Let me get back down. Um, the point being that, again, if you are ready to trade, then it should be money that you are prepared to lose. And once you are prepared to lose it, then you can put it to work in earnest and look at it from the standpoint of the risk tolerance may be high, but I am perfectly willing to get educated on it. I will practice the rules of diversification and appropriate asset allocation, and I will look at the volatility of the underlying market and the stock in particular, and I will understand the financials of that company. Don't mean to get too complex, so what we're saying is, look at the company's balance sheet. Is it making money or is it losing money? You know, do they have good products? And if they are losing money, is it the kind of company where you can look at its forward performance and gauge that it's going to continue to grow? And as we continue tonight, I can bring up a couple of companies in specific that, that fit that model. Um, and there are things, and you know, you look at those things and you gauge it and make sure you're comfortable with it. I go back to something that Peter Lynch used to say. I love reading this book. He said, you know, if you don't know it, don't invest in it. Start investing in the things or trading in things that you think you can understand. And you have to really feel good about it before you put your money to work in it. That's why technology can be so rewarding for those of us that work in the technology field. And before we move on from that, um, I want to make sure that folks clearly understand what I was going to say earlier around the legal aspect. So if you work in a technology company and your company is real hot, um, you can't buy the stock. <laughs> There's a phrase for that. It's called, in a term, it's called insider trading. Um, don't go around. By, I mean, if, if you know your company's getting ready to do announce the next big thing and you're avidly trading, you've done everything that I've said. You've got money set aside, you're safe, you even got some mutual funds, a couple of index funds, you've got some bonds. You know, you, you you shouldn't have bonds if you're young, but that's a conversation for um, later on. But you feel you're ready to trade, and you picked out five good stocks that you want to start trading in. And I'm not talking crazy trading like every hour, but actively move in and out of and booking profits. But then one of them turns out to be the company that you work for, and next month, you know, you're going to release this hot new application that's going to set the market on fire. So the very first thing you do is you take all the money you can, muster, and you go buy 5,000 shares because you know the stock is going to move probably about 40 points the day this announcement is made. That's 40 times 5,000. Whatever that is, a hell of a lot of money, and you're in trouble because the SEC looks out for that, and no matter how hard you think you, you, you are or how smart you think you are and then you can avoid getting caught, invariably these people get caught. Whether you're a big-time celebrity personality like Martha Stewart or you're Joe Schmo from East Bumba, and you thought you could get away with it, they'll find you, and you'll go to jail. And I'll close on that. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, that just speaks to uh, people have to educate themselves, understand the, the rules, uh, the rules of the game, and, you know, it goes back to if it's too good to be true, uh, then, like you said, uh, Google Martha Stewart. <laughs> if you don't know why yeah. she went to, to jail. <laughs> Um, and no, it wasn't for a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, and 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 so you know that's one of the things you said. Invest in something that you you know to, to some extent. You know we're in the technology sector, and I dare say that the people in the technology sector, uh, especially if you've been in it some period of time, have been able to um, garner some lucrative salaries. 
and uh, build up a little nest egg. So um, not only are we in the business of, of where money can be made and, and through salaries, but now, you know, if you've been prudent with your money, um, you also know about, you know, making your money work for you. And so, you know, people in our sector are talking about investing and portfolios and, and um, you know, making sure that you have your retirement uh, nest egg and that type of thing. So what in your opinion, is, uh, what's your opinion about the technology sector? You know, it, it's hot. You hear about STEM and every twist and turn. We live and breathe it. So um, maybe I'm naive. But so it makes, it only makes sense to be investing in the technology sector. Is that logic sound in your opinion? And, it, you know, um, is this the time to be investing? Is it on the rise? Or it's just like any other sector. And maybe, uh, maybe there's just a little naiveness on my part. What are your thoughts? I'm going to say it plain. And I'm not uh, Kramer or I'm not Peter Lynch. I'm not um, any of these big-time TV personalities pundits or someone you read out of fortune. I actually am Joe Schmo because I've tried it and I failed. I've also done it and I succeeded very, very well. And when it comes down to what's hot in the market, it ties directly to what you just said when you mentioned STEM. And, you know, we put our A in there for what we like to say we steam it because arts are indicative of technology. The bottom line is technology is in everything. I really don't care what it is. Technology today and going on into perpetuity will be pervasive in every aspect of our lives. And there is not one area, one sector of the economy that is not affected by technology in one form or another. Basic materials, manufacturing, long-term goods, big-ticket items, utilities, telecommunications, the oil industry, all of these things gain efficiencies, increase profits, everything on the back of technology. When the economy went into an incredibly deep spiral and we had the Great Recession, the only reason profits were able to remain so strong, of course, you know, we have to go in because I'm, I'll make it plain, President Obama had a lot to do with that, whether some people believe it or not. His moves helped bolster the economy. That was incredibly helpful. And then you had the Fed going in with quantitative easing, which if folks don't know what quantitative easing is, um, Google it, you know, get yourself educated on how the Fed manages the money uh, the money system in this country and how they thereby affect markets. Um, technology was what bolstered everything. It really was. And that's how corporations were able to maintain profits. You had fewer people who were innovating. They found efficiencies. They worked smarter and harder. It was both until we found ourselves at a point now where unemployment is actually starting to clip now. You're starting to see the economy take a turn. It's been taking a turn. It's a big, wide, long, slow turn, but it's going upward. It's in an upward trajectory for growth, and technology is underneath all of that. And now that corporations are looking to the point where they want to start hiring again after the workforce that they kept is weary to the bone, you know, they're, they're, they're at a point now, and many of us in technology see this, that for some parts of the technology sector, it is – the the uh, employees market, you know, they can they can choose. You know, corporations need them and they can demand a premium. So what does that say for what the technology market looks like tomorrow? What does that say about technology overall? It says it is the go-to sector. So folks might not agree, but everything I just said logically bears that out to me and makes it sound. Whether you're in healthcare or whether you're working on an oil platform, you're going to be dealing with technology. So and all those things need software. All of those things need hardware. All of those things need engineering and robotics. All of those things need STEM. If you're going to be a musician or if you're going to act or if you're going to be in a theatrical presentation or play, technology facilitates the success of all of those endeavors. Sound boards and mixer boards and all of those things are products of technology. And they've been advanced and innovated through the minds of people who are mathematicians, engineers, scientists, software developers, all these things. So what does that make the technology sector look like tomorrow? It makes it look like it's as bright as a supernova. And when you want to look at how the stocks are performing, your logic is very sound, Jacqueline, and that's why when it comes to asset allocation, I find myself often speaking to allocation within the technology sector. Because there are poor performers, there are medium performers, marginal performers, and there are ridiculously outstanding performers. 
Again, if folks want to see exactly what I'm talking about, if you can ever save up enough money to buy yourself 100 shares of Priceline.com, look that up. Think of Priceline negotiator, William Shatner. Think of effective branding. Think of marketing out of the wazoo. Think of a commercial that's stuck in your head. And when you go to book a trip, whether it's Orbitz or any of the other ones, they're all tied. The Priceline negotiator is right there in your face. There's ad dollars there. There's revenue being generated. You see a stock that's trading over $1,000. It moves 21 points a clip sometimes. You have 100 shares of that stock on the day it moves 21 points upside. You just made $2,100. And if you're not a greedy son of a gun and you sold out and you just booked the profit, you can take that and reinvest it or you can put it in your pocket and go buy yourself something nice. And that's how it works. And that speaks very clearly to just how explosive the technology sector is. This is not the end. This is not the back end. Even though things do go in cycles, if you look at how the market has performed, we have just recently felt a very aggressive pullback. Will there be more? I don't know. But I tell you what, I'm buying right now because it's a biased market. And one of the places where I would suggest you buy is technology. Just one man's opinion. <laughs> no, uh, thank you so much. And that's sometimes what you want to do. And you mentioned about the TV personalities, and sometimes that's just what they are. Their personalities, they're fun to watch. They they are, you know, providing, you know, good information. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes it's good just to hear it from, you know, someone that's, that's like you, you know, someone that, that you can relate to. Um, and that's why we're so glad that you're, you're joining us on the show. You're talking about the highs and lows um, because people should approach it cautiously, but they shouldn't be afraid of it. And some of it is just educating yourself just like anything else. If you're making a big investment, you do your homework. And and that's my, my next question. Can you talk to a little bit, if someone was wanting to start, they heard you, they got motivated, and, and they wanted to start investing, what's some of the, you know, the, the ABCs that you would tell them about as they step into the, the uh, market what, who should they be watching? You know, you named a few, but maybe you can reiterate those. Um, you know, where do you get your information from? Uh, what type of homework and research do you do? What what um, books or what magazines do you read? Or nowadays, of course, everything's on the, the Internet. What's some of the uh, your information sources? So I'm going to keep this real simple. And, again, it's their ground perspective, simple man's perspective, it might not be what an academic says. It's certainly not necessarily what a pundit says. So when it comes down to the TV channels and the punditry, listen to that just to get a feel for what people are talking about, what they're saying, and what they're doing. Don't take anyone's knowledge as sacred. Um, you'll find yourself in trouble like that. But, you know, if you really want to start to get a feel, dedicate some time to watching CNBC. So I say that because the idiot box is the idiot box, but the idiot box always gives you a both a audio and visual representation of whatever information it's trying to convey. And you can get a feel for how people behave that are in the industry, the things that they talk about, you know, make it your homework to try to understand what they're talking about and what those terms are. And even after the fact, I, you know, once you get educated, I would say continue to take a look at the news outlets because it's one thing, and, you know, uh, we know folks often talk about how do you predict the, market, predict the market, when to buy and when to sell. These things are impossible. You can't do that. But what you can do is get a notion. You can get a feeling for human behavior and what people are going to do. And the last few weeks or months actually prove that out. When you hear folks get to a critical threshold in the information they're conveying, then you can pretty much sense that a move is getting ready to happen. We often ignore this kind of thing because they're not engaged in it. But all of the people who move money, when they all say things are getting ready to get bad, well, you know, they hold the money. So what exactly do you think is going to happen? <laughs> and it's really funny if you start to look at it, you'll say, all right, so we're getting ready to have a big correction. And then Kramer will come on and say, I see more downside for the market. We have five people that have been on the TV show for the last hour and a half. And they're all saying the same thing, not just a few of them. It's not a bull versus bear thing. It's, it's all bad thing. So guess what happens in the next? Round the stock market. It all goes down. This is plain. So from a knowledge and educational perspective, I would say, you know, go ahead and tune into the idiot box. Um, it's still the idiot box, so you have to take it with a grain of salt. But take a look at Fox, uh, Fox, the Fox Financial Channel, Bloomberg, 
and buy it from CNBC and then get a feel for it. When it comes down to books, I won't recommend any one book. One that stands out for me was Peter Lynch's book because it's one of my starting points. But since then, I've read plenty. I've got books on options. I've got Trading for Dummies. Um, it's a good one. And pretty much they all will tell you some of the same basic knowledge. And you hear someone like Warren Buffett say, quite simply, you know, buy low, sell high. And then someone hears that and they try it and they have a disaster. Oh, that doesn't work. Well, <laughs> actually it does. Um it's all a matter of timing and greed and fear and risk tolerance. You hear some people tell you to educate yourself and then hold on for the long term. Well, you know, you, you don't want to hold on to a rabid dog. It's going to bite you, make you sick, and if you don't get any treatment, you will die. Some stocks are like that. You got no one to let go. How do you educate yourself on that? Basically, take the time to read some books that are worthwhile. And then, of course, I would say correlate that information to what you hear and what you hear and see on the Internet. Yahoo Finance is great, and I'm, I'm, I can't make it any simpler for those that want to get real fast. Uh, Yahoo Finance and tie the YouTube and the videos that are out there, I mean, it is, it is investing 101. And literally, if I recall correctly, it's been a while since I looked at it, but there's an investing 101 part out there to Yahoo Finance. It will give you all you need gain a basic understanding. And once you've done that, what I will say, whether you're ready to actually start trading or not, you can open up an account with uh, Ameritrade or E-Trade and uh, play with fictional dollars. They give you, I think, maybe $150,000 out there and take the knowledge that you've learned and build a portfolio. Um, in one of my books, here, Jim Cramer. Jim Cramer's got some real simplistic books. Check those out. Uh, but he says, you know, don't try to pick up or manage more than 10 stocks, especially if it's not something that you do for a living. Trying to read financial statements and 10Qs and 10Ks and keeping up with the quarterly reports and all the rumors and in your window and the news reports and all the stuff that's going on with the whole basket of companies. Most of us have day jobs. And the fact of the matter is, if you keep the track of all of the information and the performance metrics and trying to do technical analysis on 10 different companies and you do it successfully, and here's the truth. You aren't doing your day job. And if you really still need your day job, you're about to get fired. So, you know, you really need to, you know, gain understanding, get educated appropriately, and spend the requisite amount of time trying to understand what it is you want to understand. Get about five or six stocks in your portfolio and start trading them. You know, and one thing I would definitely caution from an educational standpoint and learning how to do this, if you are going to go ahead and do this in trade, you know, don't get into this high-velocity trading thing where folks are, like folks are doing in the early 2000s and people like, I think his name was Mark Barton, the guy that belonged to a trading house here in Atlanta. He lost all his money, got upset, and he decided he was just going to kill everybody, including his family. Well, you know, that's a weak man, you know, totally weak. If you, you know accountability and you have a requisite to responsibility because you screwed yourself up, you want to go kill people and then kill yourself. It'd be much better off if he just shot himself in the head and was done with it, left everybody else alone, because the decision to trade was his and his alone. So, you know, I don't want to scare anybody off, but really when it comes down to dealing with your money, we know how people can be about their money. We get pretty serious. But be ready, be understanding, get engaged, and practice it. You don't have to put real money to work. If you go to Ameritrade and they give you $150,000, pick six stocks, pick the sectors that you want to invest in. You have an affinity for health care because you're um, – you just recently got yourself a, a certification in, um, uh, what is it, health analytics, something like that. Um, some of the companies that you know, see what they look like. Take a look at them. Study them. And more than anything, if you really are trying to trade, track their price movements. Like I said, uh, don't trade, you know, at a swift clip, like every hour or something, which is what a lot of people was, were, were doing. Uh, even I was doing it. Yeah, you know, frequent trades are a quick way to lose your money. And just to be real clear, there are systems in place where trading at high velocity works. But you see machines do that. They're called quants. And people spend money to set up little firms that put these supercomputers or really just regular computers to serve it. But set the servers up, have them run in parallel, and execute, you know, thousands of trades, and they make money on the pennies. Well, the pennies add up, and that's how these companies get paid. You're a human being, you can't do that. What you need to do is find yourself a good company with a good bit of price movement, like a price line and has a future and a, a balance sheet that you can read and understand and a product that you can understand more importantly. Understand 
what it is you're buying. I love to trade in Tesla. I understand what it is. It's a car. It's an electric car. It's something that I have an affinity for that I love, and I see more of them every day. And the person who runs the company happens to be an unqualified genius, and he creates a very, very solid product. His start moved 22 points today. Guess what I did? You can do it too. Awesome, awesome. And, you know, this is, this is I, I love your perspective, and I think that the audience can appreciate it too um, because you're, you're talking to everyday things and you're, you're making it very plain. So, again, we're talking with D.S. Brown. We're talking about the ups and downs of investing um, across the board, but we wanted to talk, you know, specifically about the tech sector um, because we're in it, because that's what we talk about. That's what Technology Expresso is all about. And, you know, we, we cover it from a lot of different angles, but this is the first time we talked about investing in it. I want to flip it a little bit and talk from a perspective that a lot of people can relate to. And again, you, Derek Brown, is, you know, there's a lot of startups. It's, you know, technology is, you know, fertile ground for startups. Everything from, you know, creating an app uh, on for the phone all the way up to, you know, creating websites and services and, and networks. And, and there's a there's a lot of different opportunities. And so you have a lot of startups. We've seen some of those blow up like crazy. So everybody wants to be the next Facebook and the next Microsoft, and the, you know it goes on and on. Um, you know Apple, and and so my thought is is of course a lot of these startups they're looking for someone to invest in them. So let's talk from two perspectives. In your experience, what what are what are your thoughts about taking your money and not investing in the stock market, but investing into Small startups, What's, what are the risks there? What, what are your thoughts? So my perspective is you go back to the Wall Street, New York versus Vegas Sunset Strip analogy. On one end, you've got IBM, Big Blue, Ford, old companies. They, you know, they declare dividends every quarter, every time, you know, they, they have a nice little report. They may do a little, they may do a buyback or something, and, you know, you may get five cents a, you know, a nickel per share. And, you know, for individuals that own, a, you know, 300,000 shares of stock, well, you know, that nickel adds up. But for the rest of us, that's nothing. But that's low risk tolerance. That's why they're called blue chips. And they don't even move that much. You know, they're value stocks. They've, they've exploded. They've stabilized. They still may make a great product. Still may be hot companies making great profits. Stock's done. It's baked. It got cooked. They bought it out of the oven, put it on the table. Folks have cut it up, maybe been eating it for 50 years. There's nothing left for you but scraps. So then you decide, you know, from the stock market perspective that, well, I don't want the, that old beat-up hen bone over there. It's not even a hen. It's got no meat on it. And I don't like hens anyway. What I want is some fresh fried chicken. So you're going to go over here to Las Vegas. Now, the analogy is apt because you said, Jacqueline, investing in startups. Now, what we have done is we have run all the way to the other side of the spectrum to what we call high risk. So, innovation and differentiation are key factors. And we all love that because that's what makes the companies of tomorrow. But the fact that it may fail is high. The, the, I mean, the, the, the uh, potential for failure is high. The fact is we see a lot of them actually fail. For every Facebook, there are a, a, there are hundreds of folks in, in attics and garages trying to create, you know, head book or, you know, chest book or book of the feet or something or, you know, the app that is designed to let you look at folks' teeth and say, I like them because their teeth are are real nice and clean or something like that. There are enough ideas out there to boil the planet. They don't all work. And they may be able to find funding. That's one of the things that was fascinating around the year 2000 and is continuing to still be fascinating today. You look at Shark Tank, and by the time a lot of those folks are on Shark Tank, somebody gave them some money to do some of that stuff. And you look at that and go, wow, like, for real? That looks dumb. That's what you say to yourself. That looks dumb. But then some of you folks who say the same thing 
you fall for the same opie note. You, you see an idea or you come up with one yourself. You come up with one yourself and you find a way to get $100,000 or you put your money with someone else's money and together you sink $100,000 into this this new shoe lengthening process or something or this new IT shoe identification tool that lets you, the layman user, walk into any store and identify which shoes are hot and where to go get it. Actually, that's not a bad idea. I should choose a better example. Anyway, um, the fact of the matter is, the startups are high risk. And if you are willing, again, if you're willing to put your money in, in it and it's money that you know you won't miss, then the reward may be incredible. Facebook was one of those once-in-a-lifetime deals, and that is my starting perspective. Let me clarify what I mean. Folks who made money on Facebook made it way before it ever got in the market. If you look at Facebook today, folks are still wondering why it hasn't climbed to over 100 points, 100, uh, 100 bucks per share, why it hasn't done that. And that's because the pool of outstanding stock is so big. Its capitalization is huge. So it's not going to move like that. And unless you can buy a large number of shares and sell a large number of shares, you're not going to be able to make a lot of money trading it. You know, it really is. Unfortunately, it's gotten to the point where, you know, it's first out of the gate. You still don't call it a, a, a value stock. You know, it's still a growing company. But it certainly doesn't have a whole lot of volatility for us little people to make money off of it. But it was highly innovative. But the people who made the money in that innovation made it by the time it came public. And for most of us regular folks, we don't get on IPOs on the ground floor, or the second floor, or the third, fourth, or fifth floor. We can only get in after the thing debuts and after it's even settled on the market. Sometimes when these IPOs, they come to light. There's no room for any of us to get in. And once it's trading, you still can't get in. And once it's started to actually trade, if you'll pay so close attention to these IPOs, they settle and fall down. They actually go down a few bucks. They say the stock was going to debut at, you know, 40 bucks. Well, by the time you looked at it, it was 68 bucks. You're like, well, what happened to the 40? That was you not getting in. <laughs> this startup now is a going concern. It's trading on the market, and the window has closed. At $68, is it still worth buying? That's where you got to do your homework and figure out if the valuation actually makes sense. For Facebook, and I use the term capitalization, basically what this means is how big is the company's size relative to it's um, relative to its number of outstanding shares. How big is this company really in real terms? If you look at Apple, a lot of folks are kind of tripping now that, you know, the stock doesn't move as much as it used to. Well, that's because it did a three-way split. And when it was trading up at four-way split, when it was trading up at three for one, yeah. When it was trading at $400 a share, you know, it would move five, ten, eight, ten points a day. Well, that's because its capitalization was much smaller. When it split, the number of outstanding shares tripled. And from a relative size perspective, Apple is bigger than most countries. For the move back up to 400 points, $400 a share, which is where people are expecting to see it, it I, don't, I don't know the numbers. I'm not a math guy. But, you know, the thing would probably have, from an economic standpoint, be as big as the United States economy. You know, it'd be something ridiculous. The stock's not going to move like that. So, you know, it's still innovation, it's still startups, but you really have to understand what you're putting your money into. And really, you know, and I want to make sure I don't, I, I don't, miss, I don't miss this and give people the wrong impression, because a lot of what I'm saying right now sounds pretty darn negative, but I don't mean to convey that. What I mean to try to convey is that startups are risky. And at the end of the day, that's something that you have to fully understand. What's your risk tolerance? Startups are great. Innovation is great. We need it. We need more of it. We need people, more people putting ideas out there, coming up with new stuff. And if the stuff is worthwhile, the market will reward it. If you find one of those things and you do your own due diligence and research and you look at it and say it's worth putting that money into, then you can make a significant return. But for anyone who's willing to do that, I want to say that your research is a bit more pervasive than just trying to figure out how you want to allocate your funds in a given portfolio for some stocks that are outstanding. You're talking about a company that's trying to generate something new for a market that hasn't existed necessarily. You need to understand the audience that's going to be consuming that product. With any new thing out there, if you're willing to put your money in it, you need to determine if there's an appetite for it. If people don't want it, then it won't make any money. If you take a look at a stock like Twitter, 
Everybody expected it to explode. Well, a lot of people did. Many of us didn't. I look at companies like that, and I just sit back and I wait. I watch. Hadn't bought a share of Twitter yet. Twitter doesn't know how to make money. They're still working it out. Everybody uses Twitter. We tweet, we twit, twit, tweet, and all that. And <laughs> hashtag our behinds off. But how do you monetize that thing? I'm going to tell you right now, the day they start flooding my, my, my notification feeds with commercials is the day I stop tweeting. And right about now, ad dollars is how you make money on the Internet. So I don't know what the hell they're going to do. But they got some pretty bright kids working over there. We'll see what they come up with. But those are the kind of risk things you have to consider when you're willing to put your money to work for a startup. Who's going to consume it? How are they making money? You know, we have to get past the, the, the nonsense of, oh, it's just a hot thing and it's going to explode. I mean, I can't tell you how many people were calling me when they say, you know, Facebook's going public. Should I go buy it? My first question is why? You know, <laughs> why are you going to buy it? Well, you know, because you play on it. You play on it, but do you really understand it? Do you see how it makes money? You know, I mean, what are they selling you? When I look at a Tesla, he's selling cars. And he's not making a huge profit off of it, but he's got stratification within this business. He's innovating. He's selling cars. He's going to sell batteries. He's going to manufacture batteries and scale them up, make them more efficient. He's got a whole line tied to this thing, and it's tied to his other companies, too. I look at that, and I just see money. And, you know, I'm like, okay, it's volatile, but i got to mess with that. I look at Facebook, and I see ads. And, you know, spam. I see fun stuff, too, because I still use it. But I, I see all that, and I see a, a stock that was heralded by the entire planet. I mean, everybody was trying to get into it. You want to know what that made me do? Run away. In that sense, that's another phrase I'll introduce, contrarian invest, being contrarian. If everybody's trying to do a thing, it might be time for you to step back. Same thing for the gold sector. Everyone's – I still hear people talking a whole lot about gold, gold. When you see gold shops springing up on the corner of the street, you know, we buy and sell gold, it's time for you to let go alone. You need to look at something else. You may still make money in it, but from a regular person's perspective, that might not be what you want to do with your money. Think about what you want to put it into. What is the, if, if it's got to be a startup, what is the next new hot thing? Who do you know that's talking about it? What information can you find out about it? And if it's not already on the market, and it's something that someone's going to debut or it's some local company or somebody that's doing something real hot, then you really need to do your homework. You really need to do your due diligence. And the person who is putting the product together, you need to ask him, who's going to buy this? And then when they buy it, what are they going to do with it? And why would they want it? I, I, I don't get it. And if you don't get it, then you need to run. Does that make sense? It makes me sense. It's making me laugh, but it so makes sense. <laughs> But that's why, you know, I love the way you put it. It's, it, 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 you know, you put it plain, and it, it does uh, make you want to chuckle. But it, in on the one sense, it's so obvious, but it's easy to be caught in the, that trap. You know, um, it makes me think about, you know, I always say if it's too good to be true, and, and so much of what you said, I, I was just shaking my head, and, and we were shaking our head in agreement, and that, um, you know, People, in, in my opinion, people have known those little scam emails have been around uh, for years and years, and yet there's still that one person who opens it up and believes that if they cash that check, <laughs> that it's going to be okay. Let me jump in real quick, Jacqueline, because it's kind of funny. I want to say two things. So I have been asked and asked again, and next year I'm actually going to put these principles to work and start something that I will push out where people can try and take advantage of what I call common everyday knowledge. I call it small money for everyday people, and there will be a fund associated with that activity. So folks out there listening to Technology Expresso, if you like what you've heard and you would like to take part, then I'll put that out there. It's an option for you, and I think when I construct a perspective, folks, you know, you, you may like it, and hopefully you will because I actually want to do a little bit of cultural change from uh, that perspective, you know, most especially with an ethnicity, and try and make some people some money and, and get some wisdom and education going through the effort. Um, what that ties back to in the other sense is a lot of the stuff that I want to use from a marketing perspective for this Smart Money for Everyday People Fund, I got from American Greed. Now, if folks got capable of this or something like that and you haven't seen it, go look at it. What you will find is exactly what Jack was just talking about every day. It is somebody else sending out 
that email that tells people, you know, open this up and, you know, cash this check or call this Nigerian prince or follow my program or do this thing or do that thing. And it's hard for you to discern the, the often enough the, the losers from the, the, the criminals from the legitimate people. And that is unfortunate. But there are a lot of honest people out there, and those are folks you got to find. But at the same time, there are a ton of criminals, and you see them on Mercury, they fall for the same thing over and over again. And some of these people are really smart. They're really bright people. And they'll listen to this guy that says, if you take this pill, you know, and or you, 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 you put this pill in your gas tank, it's going to extend the life of your gasoline. You'll gain energy efficiency. Or over and over again, if you call his phone number, you know, and, and let me get access to your account, I'm going to put $500,000 into your account, you know, to help me get this money straight. And part of it, you're going to get a cut. It, 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 it's, it's baffling. It's mind-boggling. I watch American Greed, and sometimes there's this little dark spot in my, in my spirit, because we all have them. Don't, don't act funny and say you don't. We all got it. And that little dark spot has a little dark voice, and he says, Dude, you could do that too. But you don't want to. You should. Don't be a criminal. Be the good guy. Strive to be the better guy. But boy, amazing to see that people fall for the same okie doke over and over again. And some of those scams revolve right around startups, companies that have absolutely no future. They're producing a product that no one will consume. And if you just did a little bit of due diligence, a little bit of investigation, You'll figure that out instead of being called to the local Holiday Inn or the, or even you know the 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 the, the Marriott. And you're in the big room and everyone's sitting side to side, shoulder to shoulder. And the guy up front says, first off, let's start with prayer." And everyone prays. And after they pray, he starts to tell you about how much money you're going to make. And he spends the next hour regaling you with dreams of Lamborghinis and mansions and everything else. And he even tells you a packet. At the back of the room for 400 bucks, comes in a little, nice little briefcase that's going to tell you how to manage your money if you join his program. And you buy that hook, line, and sinker. And not for one hour, they can tell you exactly what it is you're going to be buying or how you're going to make money doing it. It's a scam. Amen. And there are too many of them out there. There, there are. There absolutely are. And you know what, dear? I'm watching our, our the minutes tick away. We've already been on the show for 60 minutes. We're actually going into overtime. And I know that you are a family man and had a hard day at work today. And you've got an organization to run in your spare time and a lot of other things to do. So I'm going to be respectful of your time because we want you to come back. Our mic is always open to you. We always enjoy our conversations. And there's more to touch upon on this topic. And I'd like to see what's coming next from Derek Brown because I think that there is an area uh, where people need uh, the, the information that you have um, in the way that you present it um, so that they're not intimidated. But, you know, I, I, you know, one of the takeaways that I have from tonight is at the end of the day that you've got to do your homework. Um, if you, if you, you know, my, my money is hard to come by. I work hard for my money. So, you know, if unless you just want to give it away and, you know, you can go to Vegas for that if you ask me. But um, if you want to do it a more prudent way, um, there are opportunities out there. But if you want to look at the technology sector, it's not just about jumping on the bandwagon or jumping on the first opportunity that, that you hear about or that sounds good or, like you said, just because you play on it or you have one, go out and, you know, buy, uh, invest all your money in one place. They, you know, it, it's much more to that. So don't, don't assume that it's going to be easy. Um, assume that you are going to have to do your homework, um, take some time to study, observe, learn um, the sector. And, and, you know, something that I also took away from what you said is look at the failures. It, it, from what you said tonight, I learned a lot from the failures that you talked about. And that was really, really intriguing to me. So, you know, study, study what has happened in the past, and then you don't have to repeat it. Um, and, and that's what's really uh, um, interesting. But I'm going to let you have the, the last word here, and we're going to uh, uh, close it out, and we look forward to having you back. Any final words you want to say and, and anything you want to say to people as far as uh, how they can get in touch with 
uh, Derek Brown, and uh, uh, what's next for Derek Brown? Uh, yeah, thank you, Jacqueline. I will just first want to say it's been a real pleasure. And as usual, when we get together, the time flies. I didn't even realize it was past 9 o'clock, so there you have it. Um, if folks want to reach out to me, I'm at ds at meetbsbrown.com. That's ds at meetbsbrown.com. Feel free to reach out to me. Um, there are plenty of things going on in my space, as you well know. I still try to adhere to the six buckets that you educated me on. Try and be focused on the things that you actively get engaged in. So for now, out of all the things that I'm doing, I'll just mention two. There will be some books coming out and some re-releases. The first one that I want to call out directly to my passion for uplifting kids, and that's an educational primer for the majority student. It's been updated, and it's got a new cover, and we're going to try and introduce a program associated with it. Be on the lookout for that, an educated primer for the majority student, the DS Brown. And the other passion, of course, is BDPA. So if you folks here in Atlanta would like to see me in person, I'll be down at the Glen Hotel with a bunch of brilliant folks, and we're going to be there um, talking about cultural financial literacy for our ethnicity with Kerry Hall, Senior VP at UBS Financial Services. He's going to be doing a talk at our meetup, and then we'll all retire to the um, Sky Deck Lounge up on the roof of the Glen where there will be orders and cocktails served free of charge. Time, show up, let's all meet and greet, get to know each other, as I often say. Build a network, leverage a network, create an opportunity. You never know what will be coming your way if you show up. So that being said, I turn it back over to you. Thank you, Derek. And stay tuned to Technology Expresso. And please do visit our archives for other shows from Derek Brown as well as others from the BDPA family and beyond. Also, we have a, we have uh, our WordPress blog, uh, and we've been posting a lot on both our Facebook page and our Twitter. Um, follow us, on, and you'll see us chatting with uh, Derek Brown on any given night. Uh, we might strike up a conversation, and you can join in. Uh, remember, Technology Expresso is at sign T-E-C-H-X-O-C-A-F-E. That's Tech X-O Cafe. And, uh, again, thank you to all our listeners. And as we always say, remember to listen, learn, leverage, and launch. You've been listening to Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. Visit our website portal at www.technologyexpresso.com for a full list of broadcast archives, social media handles, and upcoming shows. Keep up with Technology Expresso while on the go by texting the word LAUNCH to 41411. That's texting the word LAUNCH to 41411. Thanks again, everyone, and remember, listen, learn, leverage, launch.